Hey Jammers, we're back with our Season 2 finale. If you remember last time, we left you wanting just a little bit more with our top 6 80s montages. Hopefully we can all still be friends after you hear our top 3. If not, you know what, that's cool, just remember to come back and push play. We also have our final 7 picks for the Totally Radical mixtape, and the way this is going, I see a Volume 2 in the future. As always, we created a Spotify and YouTube playlist, so be sure to have that playlist handy if you'd like to listen alongside us as we jump back into the Totally Radical Mixtape, songs from the movies. So chill out, drop in, drop out, whatever, and we're going to get started and push play on this episode. So have a good time, guys, and we'll catch you all on the flip side. Probably have to go Rocky three. <sighs> yeah, I'm sorry. I That's okay. To. That's perfect, right? I think. So here, here's what I'm torn between. If if number three is Rocky three, right? I know what number one has to be, and I think you do too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, I I would be torn between three and four being either the I would say Bloodsport has two very iconic montages. One being the song that we, we did earlier, the Stan Bush right. song, Fight to Survive. Um, that's where they're actually fighting. The training montage where he's learning from the Shidoshi mm-hmm. when Tanaka's teaching him. And he's like, he's he's got ropes around his legs and he's doing a full split. And Tanaka's like beating him in the ball sack with a kendo stick. Like that that's up there that that to me is like a top top five montage because it's one of the originals i'm gonna i'm gonna go with number three i'll stick with uh rocky three because it's eye of the tiger eye of the tiger man eye of the tiger rock that was the one that put it there right yeah yeah i mean that's that's got to be it right so that that's my number three what's number two and I hope we get this right, what number one is. I think we have it. I think so, too. All right. So my number two pick, this one is montages that I absolutely love. The song, it might not be as memorable as the others. And I don't know that it, everyone would put it at a number two spot. But I put it at number two because I, I absolutely love it. I think it's the best part of the whole movie. Scarface. Push it to the limit sung by paul engman uh and also ross. and rick ross that is correct because i love the rick ross version too but anyway giorgio Moroder wrote this he produced it put it all together but it just it i i, I can hear the sound starting right now it's when the cash he's laundering the money Tony Montana's finally figuring out how to launder the money and you just see him counting the cash in the cash counter and it's going and then it just goes into and I just remember the guys walking in with the big sacks of cash into the bank 
and like or the car dealership or whatever it was and it's yeah. just it's just iconic and it's just wow and it just goes into the whole song it's amazing that's my number two pick scarface so hit us with the number one and i think this is a consensus on number one it's by joe fucking bean esposito you're the best and the karate kid 1984 you're the best around that just the the tournament the the all valley tournament <sighs> there's nothing better there's nothing better that is Daniel absolutely LaRusso. the best Daniel LaRusso around. trained for three weeks and he's, <laughs> he's a black belt and he's fighting in the all Valley tournament against Johnny Lawrence. Who's been right. training his entire life with Cobra Kai. Right. And I'll be damned if they don't meet in the finals because right. Miyagi-Do is just, it's the best around. <laughs> it's the best around, man. Absolutely. But it's magic, magical. It's a it magical, magical montage. It is There's so good. There is none better in 1984 uh, Karate Kid. And that was the perfect number one because my next pick is going to be You're the Best by Mr. Joe Bean Esposito. So let's Joe go ahead and listen to that. And let's play. All right, guys, this is the part of the Jamcast where you get to choose your own adventure. You can either pause the podcast now and jump over to Spotify or YouTube and listen alongside us. Or you can just hang out for a few seconds and we'll be right back. It's really your call, no wrong answer. Daniel LaRusso, Mr. Miyagi. Come on, man. Come on. This movie, if this movie didn't impact your life in some way and you were born in, around, or in the 80s, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it was amazing. Karate Kid 1, 2, and 3, all of them. Obviously, the first one is the best. But if you don't know what the Karate Kid's about, Daniel LaRusso moves from New Jersey? Jersey. Jersey to Cali, right? Mm -hmm. Jersey to Cali with his mom. He gets beat up. He gets beat up first by the Cobra Kai. The Cobra Kai doucherous. Uh, and then yep. he goes to that actual gym to become a member. And little does he know mm-hmm. the whole crew John, is there. Johnny Lawrence, John Crease, and the gang. <laughs> Ready to take him on, man. Ready to take him on. And then uh, Mr. Miyagi is the caretaker superintendent of the place, the motel he's living or the apartment complex. I don't even know. It looks like a motel. Uh, yeah. California's weird in the 80s. Uh, and he's just like this little humble Japanese fellow. And then he eventually comes into the scene, teaches him, mm. teaches him all he needs to know in three weeks. He's at, he's competing. All Valley karate championships. Yeah. U 18 under 18 karate championship oh, yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. And has some of just the best training sequences and montage because of course mr miyagi doesn't just come out and say hey here's how you do karate he's gonna make you do things like the iconic wax on wax off paint the the fence sand the the floor um and all of these moves are just blocks right like he's just going up and down 
do it. And he, and he does it real quick. I, that's, that's the best part when like Daniel's so pissed off from doing all this work for every day, painting and cleaning cars and waxing. Uh, and then Mr. Miyagi comes full force, like trying to punch and kick him. And he's just like blocking everything. Yeah. It's massively like massively over-exaggerating how much you can learn. And that's what a montage was. Right. It was condensing effort and time and shit that you know <laughs> takes years to learn. Fucking Daniel LaRusso learns legitimate karate by sanding floors, painting fences, and waxing cars in a matter of three weeks to fight a legitimate lifetime of training for Johnny Lawrence and Cobra right. Kai. Right. And it's like, what? What? What a well, ridiculous. How do you zoom through that much training in a montage? I'm gonna, I bought it. I bought um, it. Yeah. yeah. So, Joe Bean Esposito, he was uh, yeah, a writer, writer from the 70s. Guy? He wrote for Donna Summer, Aretha Franklin, so and Stephen Stills, actually. So, he was probably in that Giorgio Moroder uh, phase and stuff like that, too, because. Giorgio did all Donna Summer stuff. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he uh, he was the father to an MLB pitcher, Mike Esposito, Colorado Rockies. You know that guy? I do not. <laughs> oh five. Thought that I was, thought for a second. But that was, was like a that? cool, cool little tidbit there. Who's got any good? No. Probably not. Uh, he also worked on Flashdance, Staying Alive, and obviously The Karate Kid. Fun fact, and I guess I never really thought about it. I guess this song gets a lot of flack because he goes, history, history repeats itself. Try and you will find. Yeah, but why would history repeat itself if he just learned karate? This was supposed to be for a replacement instead of Eye of the Tiger, bro. Really? This song was supposed to be in Rocky Three, Eye of the Tiger. So do you realize what we just did in our top six? We just flipped the three spot for the one spot. That means three of the top six are Rocky movies. <laughs> it's all Rocky. We need, to watch, we need to watch more movies, bro. But you know what? I When we were talking about like ranking montages, yeah. I looked it up. And everyone's like, you got to put Rocky in there more than once. There's right. no way. There's like, no way to do it. He, when he's running up the fucking steps, when he's, you know, doing <laughs> doing sit-ups in the snow, and Paulie's right. like, you got it, Rock. And <laughs> then got you got the one where they're running on the fucking beach. Like, right, right. Rocky right. three. Oh, that's Rocky uh, four. Oh, it's so that's good. what Columbia wanted. They wanted another Rocky theme song. They wanted another Rocky movie song. So I guess this is, it was originally done for Eye of the Tiger. Then it was done for the main theme from Flashdance, and and Karate Kid was the third pick. Um, yeah, which is wild. Something else that came through in my research is not really about this song, but more about Karate Kid, the soundtrack that uh, "Cruel Summer" by Banana Rama actually debuted <laughs> in the movie, but really? wasn't on the soundtrack. That's probably a good call. That is, but that's pretty cool that a song would be played in a movie that you had never heard before. Like this yeah. is obviously 1984, so you're not Googling shit. But like, could you imagine hearing a song and not being able to find it again? Yeah, like, bust out the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. <laughs> who was that? It's a shit song about Cruel Summer. I don't know if this is. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty wild. And you and I were talking because we both remember this band in the video 
uh, Sweep the Leg Johnny by No More Kings in 2007. Oh, yeah. Watch this video. This was so before Cobra Kai was ever even uh, a, a glimmer of a thought. It had to be. I mean, it was 2007. That is 15 years ago. Yuck. It shows Johnny kind of being pissed off because he got kicked in the face and it's like totally illegal. illegal. Living, in a, living in a trailer. Living in a trailer with all he's like reliving his old past and he's uh, Ralph Macchio's in it as Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Son. LaRusso. Yeah. LaRusso. Uh, so check that video out if you haven't. No More Kings, Sweep the Leg, Johnny. It's actually a really good song, too. Yeah. Um, Another weird connection. Joe Bean Esposito did a song with Conti, who we had brought up before. Yeah, which, from Rocky. He yeah, was a Rocky so composer. They're all that, they're all in cahoots, man. It's it's cahooting on cahooting. Oh, you also, know. just last little tag. Look up Miss Miyagi, Mrs. Miyagi, to understand her story. This is oh, sad. you sent me a, you sent me that. I was reading that the other day. Basically, I'll, I'll in the movie, I'll go real quick because I don't want to sit on it too long. It was really, it, it was really deep for like such a. I had such a small part in the movie when Mr. Miyagi's drinking and he's he's cheersing to his wife. I think it's celebrating or remembering her on her 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 death day, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Mr. Miyagi and his wife came from Japan to to escape things that were going on and part family quarrels that i think you find out in karate kid three uh or, or two i don't remember exactly maybe two uh when they go to okinawa uh and they're living in america he enlists mr miyagi enlists in the army to fight in world war ii uh but during that time i guess america was like if you're japanese even if you're living in america you have to go in an internment camp and they put Mrs. Miyagi in an internment camp. And she died giving birth to her son in the internment camp. While Mr. Miyagi, while Mr. Miyagi was getting the Congressional Medal of Honor for fighting for America as a Japanese. Really? American. Yeah. Pat Morita got that? Yeah. Well, Mr. Miyagi. Oh. Oh. oh <laughs> Mr. Oh, Miyagi oh. got the Congressional Medal I of see. Honor in the movie. Or in the the made up story that never happened, it's just so <laughs> deep and so sad. That's the thing. Like that doesn't come up again. There's no need for that to be so. I guess yeah. it's 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 opening a lens that's like, damn, that shit happened. Uh, but wow. Anyway, that's where I leave you with that sad ass story. So yeah, go ahead fuck, and Jimmy? go ahead <laughs> and bring us up, Pat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump to something a little more amusing, and we'll go to uh zero just no transition whatsoever we're gonna go to beverly hills cop 1984 heat is on by glenn fry all right guys you know the drill either jump over to spotify or youtube check out the playlist if not just hang out we'll be right back so let's jump into as promised the blurb the blurb after his childhood buddy is murdered while visiting Detroit, rebellious cop Axel Foley, Eddie Murphy, follows the leads to Beverly Hills, California, under the auspices of a vacation. He checks in with old friend Jenny Summers, Lisa Elbacher, and starts to believe her boss, art dealer Victor Maitland, might somehow be involved in the murder. However, Lieutenant Bogomil of the Beverly Hills Police Department 
does not trust Foley and hinders his search for evidence. This movie was one of the first buddy cop movies. Definitely. Like they made a ton of them. So right? many. But this one in particular, like it's not super like music heavy. No. But this again, the whole soundtrack, um, it's it's uh, Keith Forsey and Harold Faltermeyer, same okay. people, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They co-wrote Axel F, like we talked about before, right. Banana Song, and uh, <laughs> they co-wrote The Heat Is On. So they, I don't know, I don't know how to put this, but I was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. I loved Trading Places, Golden Child. Yeah. He was, and this is like right in the height of his success. He's coming off of 48 Hours, Nick Nolte, and he just did Trading Place with Dan Aykroyd. And so, like, this is a huge movie for him. You know, this got some iconic shit in there. I believe there's, isn't Judge Reinhold in it? Yeah, dude. He's the other cop. He's, he's uh, uh, Rosewood. Rosewood. Taggart. T- Taggart. Taggart. No, Taggart's the big guy. Yeah, he's Rosewood. <laughs> but um, <laughs> in any case, uh so let's let's talk about the music here so yeah the soundtrack won a grammy for best score soundtrack for visual media in 1986 what the heat is on was the opening track and the album the soundtrack album went to number one in the u.s in 1985 if you believe no it no way yeah glenn so fry. glenn fry Let's talk about him. Glenn Fry, we know him from the Eagles. Yeah. Obviously, he was a co-front man with Don Henley. Um, he was offered this song by Forsey and Faltermeyer, which he accepted oh. for $15,000. Oh. Yeah. But 80s inflation, right? That's like yeah, it's like now, right? Something like that. So the song was huge. It was like so the big. song itself, the album was number one. Um, and, and the song itself reached number two on the charts behind Ario Speedwagon's Can't Fight This Feeling. Jeez, dude, so, Ario Speedwagon, no one out there. They could have had it. They um, <laughs> and then here's the here's an interesting part. Um, so obviously there's Beverly Hills Cop 2 as well. Right, right, um, right. Glenn Fry was offered the opportunity to record Shakedown for that movie. Kenny. But he didn't like the lyrics, and then he got laryngitis. And so Bob Seger recorded it, and it went to number oh. one. Okay, so, that's it. Shakedown. Also, my notes tell me banger. Yeah, good Synth one. Heavy, written by Faltermeyer and Forsey again. Nice. Um, just an absolutely tremendous follow up. Right. Right. I don't know. Do you, you got any personal connections to this? Oh yeah, dude. I have actually all the Beverly Hills Cops. I love Eddie Murphy just as much. His stand up was hilarious. Okay. He was like twenty or something. He did such a perfect job of being a serious actor, but also being hilarious. Like yeah. he was so on point. He was such a great actor. Like uh, what was the guy's name from Perfect Strangers? Balky. He was uh, uh, the one guy in the art the art studio. He's like, I'll make it with a little twist and just their banter back and forth. He's like, no shit. He's like, yeah, do it. It's just like so yeah, good. That's- that's good. Uh, then it gets thrown out the fucking glass window. Out the, the glass window, and then ain't gonna fall for no banana in my tailpipe. Like, that's right. you're not gonna fall for a banana in the tailpipe. He does an amazing white person impression. 
and it's just it's just such a great movie and even the sequels like i don't remember so much two and i think three hits the 90s i really remember three more than two and that's where like they're in a uh theme park and something bad's going to happen in a theme park and i just remember it so much because the the guy who does the little lemon twist in the first one is like his weapon specialist in three or something and he gives him a boom box that turns into like a rocket launcher it's ridiculous like when you had 80s movies transition into the 90s whatever oh, yeah. ridiculousness they had in the 80s was turned to 12 in the 90s like they had yeah. to make it bigger and more ridiculous so i.e rocky five sucking uh that's a 90s movie uh yeah. it just it just goes over the top uh which is an 80s movie anyway beverly hills cop the soundtrack i remember the heat is on and axel f those are the big ones that i remember and yep. axel f is an absolute just jam there's no music or singing it's just got that tab it's like i always think of it as like a phone call like they're they're calling like it's like a touch tone phone yeah that's where i always go when i'm thinking of it so yeah anyway yeah dude absolute great movie and great song to go to the soundtrack definitely and and glenn fry actually had a couple other songs on different soundtracks like he he did like a lot of the miami vice stuff so like you belong to the city that's what i was just gonna say yeah like those are some those are some uh some winners and he was also ghostbusters too we did flip city that was 89 i guess that still counts it does. conversation worthy since we're still in the yeah. 80s but um that's yeah. a good honorable mention because i think uh miami vice was like the first tv show to dabble in making a theatrical show you know what i mean like something yeah. that's worthy of the theater the soundtrack to that was totally 80s all the miami vice stuff the movie or the show was totally oh, 80s. Yeah. like in the inner night was on there yeah yeah it was. I have it on cassette, actually. 85, bro. 85. Synth pop nightmare Sick. hellhole album. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Am I taking it next? Speaking of Mr. Phil Collins, I'm going to hit you with the riskiest of business in the air tonight off of face value. Let's give it a listen. Before we get into the movie, uh, that is Phil Collins' number one hit across the board, right? Chart of chart toppers, the song you know and love outside of Genesis. That is all Phil Collins. It's off his album called Face Value, which is his first solo album after leaving Genesis. And it's the first song on the album. One of the greatest songs of all time. Like, right? Like, how do you, I have a thing with the first song on any album, especially your first, if it's the first song on your album, cool. But if it's the first song on your first album that you're putting out solo, it's got to be something. And that was it. One of the only songs, not only songs, but one of the uh, main songs that were written before the movie. This was written in 81. The movie came out in 83. It's a good distinction to make because- like we said earlier, a lot of these songs were made for the movie 
written by somebody and asked to perform, but Phil Collins just did yeah. Phil Collins things. He just did Phil Collins. I don't think there might be one other song on here uh, that isn't like that. Uh, anyway, from Risky Business, which you said it, it's kind of a, it's a, it's really a different movie. Uh, it's a good movie. I like it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's very much uh, parents go away, throw a party, except it's not a party. It's a brothel. Uh, yeah. So a little bit yeah. of a different take on the classic mom and dad are leaving and don't have any parties, son. And it starts out him just being home. Uh, and then I think he gets tied up into some uh, woman of the night uh, sex worker business. And basically she still like, he doesn't have sex with her, but she, he owes him the money and he goes to get the money out and she takes an egg of his mother's Fabergé Fabergé egg that she had on the mantelpiece that was very prized and of course noticeable. Uh, and he goes to go get it. And then he gets entangled in Guido, the pimp, the pimp of this lady and there's like threats made and there's all this back and forth Fancy and, restaurant. yeah and all this all this back and forth and essentially what happens is um through a misguided turn of events his father's porsche gets pushed into a lake and he decides that in order to pay back all this money he's going to <clears throat> host a brothel for the night in his house and make this money up so that he can pay the repair bills on this Porsche. And uh, the college recruiter shows up. Yeah. And interviews him. Yep. Yeah. And he, he kind of like, doesn't he still get in though? He does. He does. Spoiler and it's pretty, alert. Spoiler alert. He gets in like, yeah, come on. I'm giving the whole movie away. It's all right. It was just such an, a, a, it was a random movie. Like, you know, a lot of times we can say like, oh, okay, it's a, it's a this type of movie or it's this like i don't know that this one has ever been done before specifically like this or uh yeah after. you know what's you know it's what's tom a cruise thing? by the way it's tom it cruise's tom first cruise. movie now they're like, fucking this, is tom break, cruise. this is his breakout movie um he's 11 years old yeah it's spectacular <laughs> so that's the movie the song in the air tonight is played at a scene that is very monumental to the movie but very awkward to go back and watch just like, I just pulled the video up and watched it. I haven't seen Risky Business in a couple of years. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. All right. It's very it works 80s. really well. Very it's 80s. very 80s. They're in Chicago. It's very this Rob is It's very Rob Lowe. It's in Chicago. And uh, Lana is the prostitute that he gets the second time. And they're kind of like in kind of a relationship. They start getting feels yeah, for each other. Her. He loves her. And she kind of is like, okay, maybe, you know, pretty woman ask like, oh, maybe I won't be a prostitute anymore. I'll be your girl. Um, maybe, um, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but eventually they get down to business, risky business on an, a Chicago L, like the city L, like a train. And it's yeah. 1983 Chicago. So I can only start to describe to you what, the scene looked like like cleanliness yeah. and graffiti and there's visible some, venereal disease yeah yeah there's some people on the bus or on the bus yeah there's people on the train while they're like start hooking up and start like doing the whole thing and during all this 
Phil Collins in the air tonight is playing. And it's very just kind of perfect and kind of like gross all at the same time. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's know. And they, it's a it weird is, scene. You're, you're it not is wrong. a weird scene. It's, uh, it's uncomfortable because like you said, like there's, there's definitely people still on the train, like kind of, it's obviously the middle of the night. He leaves the, the party at the house where he's making all this money to pay for the stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the, the local garage is like, this is what it's going to cost to fix the Porsche or whatever. Right. So well, I got to make 60,000 or I forget what it was. It but, was some ridiculous um, amount, some absurd number. And he ends up he ends up being okay and and by the you know skin of his teeth kind of thing. But what a weird scene! It Just is a like... real weird scene, and I think it also I go back to Weird Science had one of those. That's a, that's definitely not on the the list, and that's a movie that that could have come up. I don't know. Boingo, about the song boingo. boingo, 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 Weird Science. Yeah, did they? Here. Yeah, that they wrote the song Weird Science. Oh, really? No yes. way. That's, That's a crazy. weird fact. That is a weird factoid for you, but you're full of them, man. You're full of them. Uh That's Danny Elfman, by the way. If you don't know who Oingo Boingo is, Danny Elfman, who did every soundtrack to every movie you could ever imagine. He did all the compositions for like a ton. I can't even, I might pull them up at some point, but they're, I'll go down the list and you're like, really, really, really? It just also going. married to Jenna Elfman from Dharma and Greg. Oh, no way. Dharma yeah. and Greg. Anytime I think of Dharma and Greg, I think of two guys, a girl in a pizza place. I don't know why they were like, it's back the same to back show. It's the same, same show. Thing. Anyway, yeah. in the air tonight, like I said, first solo album after genesis first song on the on the album that's amazing um yeah what the song's about has been highly debated an urban legend uh because he talks about you know if you saw me drowning i wouldn't help it was just there's a lot of lyrics in there and they're like what is this about and uh if you remember from stan by eminem with Dido and all that yeah. stuff. He goes yeah, yeah. in the part of the song, he goes, you know, the Phil, the song by Phil Collins in the air tonight about that guy who could have saved the other guy from drowning, but didn't then Phil saw it all. And then in a show, we found him that like progressed the urban legend even further. And this is what Phil Collins has <laughs> to say about it. I don't know what the song is about. When I was writing it, I was going through a divorce. The only thing I can say about it is it's obviously an anger the angry side or the bitter side of separation that's it yeah i had, i had heard i i had a some sort of vague inference from the lyrics and from some something i'd read somewhere that was about divorce but it was it's basic like all he's saying in this this song is like like you're all you're drowning and i'm not gonna throw you a fucking yeah life vest you're gonna know he's just having a bad time man he's going through a divorce yep. and he's having a bad time which phil collins has had the perpetual uh receding hairline for like all Oof. of his life and career and he rocked yeah. it he rocked it so hard and i'm like looking at it now i'm like dude just shave it off be better Bro. but i love genesis i love phil collins uh, i think it's really cool mm -hmm. that he's a drummer uh yeah. drummer of a band and like makes his own band that's that's kind of wild um, yeah 
because you don't often hear that. There's a couple other bands out there to do it, but that's what I got risky business in the air tonight, man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hit the next one then. Um, <laughs> the next one we're going to do, uh, we're going to do The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News from Back to the Future in 85. Just before you get into it, Addicted to Love and Power of Love always crossed paths in my brain. And it's, it's a Robert Palmer. And it's actually yep, off sounds of, just like him. And it's both about love. And it's from Cocktail, which is Tom Cruise as well. So interesting and neato burrito. Go ahead and hit me with some Huey Lewis and the news or back to the future. What do we usually start with? The blurbs. Blurb. Set in 1985, <laughs> the story follows Marty McFly. Michael J. Fox, a teenager accidentally sent back to 1955 in a time-traveling DeLorean automobile built by his eccentric scientist friend, Dr. Emmett Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Trapped in the past, Marty inadvertently prevents his future parents' meeting, threatening his existence, and is forced to reconcile the pair and somehow get back to the future. This movie was rejected over 40 times really before it got the green light for production oh man was it like rapid fire though or like were there like weeks in between was it like can we do this can we do this can we do this can we do this no 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 no. but the weirdest thing i i researched this and found this out yeah and then like a week later that random fact popped up in my life somewhere where really? I just had heard that Michael J it was like a Michael J Fox thing or whatever. Like, Oh, that movie got rejected 40 times or something like that. Like that's crazy. It's, it was very odd. That is odd. It was not something I was expecting to hear right. um, after I just recently found it out and then heard it again. It's like, that's the universe, you know? Yeah. Um, so the movie itself was originally supposed to star Eric Stoltz, the guy from The Mask, the oh, original yeah, Mask. Yeah. yeah, not the one, with, not the Jim Carrey. Yeah. No. With Cher. And uh, exactly. And then uh, they they brought Michael J. Fox on after they had done like some substantial filming, and adding Michael J. Fox, not including his salary, added four million dollars to the budget because they had to redo a bunch of scenes. Oh wow! Because they wanted oh, Michael 80s, J. Fox. Dude. Yeah, like fresh off Teen Wolf and shit, right? <clears throat> Keeping in, in line with movies being added to the National Film Registry. This was added in 2007 to Library of Congress. Yes. So there's a bunch of crazy scenes in Back to the Future. And in keeping with how awkward the 80s were with like yeah. sexual encounters, right? he like kind of has a weird sexual encounter relationship encounter with his mom <laughs> he does. past version of his mom mom which is it's really uncomfortable like now just thinking about it and like going back and watching it yeah um <laughs> but yeah, everybody's fucking seen this movie we don't need right. to get too far into that let's yeah. talk about the music so uh this guy um, alan silvestri composed the score alan silvestri did predator what forrest gump who framed Roger Rabbit and a bunch more? So there's a ton there. Um, Huge. The the song, is, and that's the score. The song 
was written by Huey Lewis. Fresh off my favorite album title of all time, Sports. Just called Sports. Love that. So So good. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But Alan Silvestri, like everybody had kind of asked Huey Lewis to to write the song. Um, And so Huey Lewis said, hey, I'm flattered. I, I, I don't want to do this because I don't know how to write movie songs and I don't want to write one called Back to the Future. Right. So the guy who wrote it, this, this guy Zemeckis, he told Huey Lewis that he could write any song that he wanted. And so Huey agreed to submit the next song that he wrote, which was The Power of Love. And then Zemeckis, he's, Huey Lewis says Power of Love was the first submission, but Zemeckis said it was a different song that was rejected. And then they went back and they requested a song called Back in Time, this, that, and the other. Um, <clears throat> Huey Lewis worked on the song when the movie's in post-production. The movie's already done. Okay. Is that it? So it wasn't like, man, we're writing it about the movie. It's just like a random song that Huey Lewis wrote. And they're like, yeah, we're going to add it. They just wanted to have him on okay. there. Huh. So, and, and because the song was after the fact, after the movie they had to go back and place it somewhere right right and that was going to be the you know the theme of the movie so the only time they could do it was when um marty's on a skateboard like going to school four minutes of the movie yeah and yeah exactly and so the song became huey lewis in the news number one hit really and later in the film so this is post-production later in the film Marty, so Michael J. Fox character, they go to a battle of the bands. Do you remember this? Right. Yep. Yep. And he plays it. The bat. He plays the song, and there's a judge who says, "That's too darn loud." You're just too darn it's loud, Lewis. kid. It's oh, Huey that's Lewis. Huey Lewis. No way. Yes. That's so yes. cool. Cool. And so, and the the follow up to that is that the song plays in all three of the Back to the Future movies at what one point it? or another. Really? Yeah, it's in, it's in all of them. Huh. Um, that is funny. Huey Lewis has kind of an interesting story too. Um, I don't know much. It's not about his him. real name. Yeah, his name is uh, Hugh Anthony Craig the Third. Um, <laughs> goes goes by Huey Lewis. Uh, huh. You know, it's uh, he's just, he's from Boston. His his mom's Polish. His dad was a district attorney. He's the third, obviously. Um, he had like kind of a crazy life, like hitchhiking and shit like that, playing the harmonica. And, you know, he's got a degree in engineering from Cornell. Um, but he was, yeah, he was in, he changed his name. He like tinkered with it to try to get it out there. And he had a bunch of bands that never really got too far, a band Clover. Um, but the, the name that kind of stuck was bluesy Huey Lewis. And he played, he played harmonica on Thin Lizzy's album "Live and Dangerous." No so way. He, yeah, yeah. And then outside of that, after he had, you know, sports was huge. So, so you had it was like one of the biggest. It was definitely his biggest album. But he he ended up, you know, getting the after sports. He got the the role in um, Back to the Future, and then he was in a bunch of shows like. He's got a, a whole filmography section where he's in like he's in a movie or a TV show every other year 
leading what? up to 2021. He's in the fucking blacklist. Really? And yeah, he's in. He was in, the, he was in the Cleveland show listed as a character <laughs> called the guy who looks like Huey Lewis. It's actually him. <laughs> he's in King of Queens. He was in a bunch of a bunch of interesting uh, a bunch of interesting things there. And then he he married his manager's secretary and they had two kids and got divorced their daughter named kelly lewis in the news and austin lewis in the news <laughs> and he uh <laughs> that's that's about it on huey lewis interesting guy but i know you yeah. i know you like huey lewis so i do like man and sports sports is is the jam dude there's so many good songs on it uh and yeah i that's funny i never even I know the guy. I'm seeing him right now. I'm like, yeah, I guess that is Huey Lewis. Um, and it's just That's funny it. that they like had to figure out where to put it. And it is totally like just kind of a BS scene in the beginning, but it does frame the whole movie. Like when you think of Back to the Future, what music do you think of? And it's the power of love. And it's not oh, even like sure. it's not even like it reoccurs. Like you said, it's in each one, but it doesn't reoccur. Yeah in each movie it's just one time and it sets it off like i remember like it was yesterday because my my grandparents did the og piracy where you would record they had hbo back in the day back in yeah. the early 90s man like Prism. i would say like yeah like 92 or 93 they had hbo and they had a vhs that they recorded and had back to the future on it and i remember it to this day because it was a plastic case that it was in remember they used to pop open from the side not like a vhs yeah. that slid out the bottom but it was a plastic case that opened up and, yeah. and he's like oh the clocks are an hour i'm, I'm late for class oh, and he goes yeah. gets on a scoot board and this song just goes and uh yep. the guy in the mountain dew hat looking behind him like what are you doing why are you on the back of my yeah <laughs> yeah great movie well huey lewis great. huey lewis um despite having a cameo in there and having some great songs like i go back to 83 and like that that whole album sports it reminds me of a 90s movie you've ever seen american psycho i was just gonna say i didn't realize it was an eight 90s movie because it's set in the 80s because he it talks is. about phil collins and huey lewis in the news in that movie yes patrick right Bateman. before right before he murders paul allen in uh in his apartment yeah yep, that yep. that scene always reminds me of huey lewis but this album had like sports had what was it heart and soul i want a new drug yeah part of rock and roll yep and dip, 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 there's dip, 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 dip. speaking of 80s montages right the off of sports i'm sure you know this that i want a new drug was like it was like top 10 in the hot 100 and um there was a massive lawsuit against ray parker jr for oh. plagiarizing that song to write the song ghostbusters oh my gosh yes dude yes yeah that is the beat in the backbeat on that is so much like totally ripped totally ripped. and it was settled out of court for really? a quote-unquote undisclosed sum but yeah, yeah. ray parker fifteen thousand dollars Glenn Fry money. Yeah, um, Glenn Fry money. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's Huey Lewis. That's, that's uh, Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, 
I was just looking too. American Psycho was based on a book that was released in 1991. The movie didn't come out until 2000. Oh, it was 2000. I had okay. no idea. That's crazy to me. Like I thought because it's about the 80s, I honestly thought it was in the 80s. But Christian Bale would have yeah. been like, you know, 14 years old or something. Kid, have to yeah. return some videotapes. We're getting close. We're getting close here. And if I'm talking about left. VHSs. This was also a VHS that I had. It was not recorded, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Watched it so, so much. This is Party Man by Prince off the Batman soundtrack. Let's go. Michael Keaton is the best Batman, hands down. Oof, I'm going to disagree. Uh, Michael Keaton pulled Batman together in such an awesome way from Adam West. Like he had to transition from Adam West, Batman, like goofy, like, Oh, I'm a detective. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, boy wonder, all that stuff. First dark Batman. Yep. And he was alongside with Jack Nicholson. This is Tim Burton early on. This is 1989. And it was, a VHS I had, and you talked about burning a hole in your DVD by watching that um, that that pool scene. Maybe Kate scene. I watched the VHS so much that it, the tape wore out. This movie's amazing. It's awesome. Tim Burton did the first two Batmans. Uh, he did mm -hmm. this 1989. Then he did Batman Returns with. Uh, I was obsessed Danny. with that. It, dude, that movie was so good because Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. It had uh, Danny DeVito as the penguin and uh, and the guy that was running for office uh, was uh, his name is what's his name? Pat he talks. His... I don't remember. More cowbell guy. No, what's the guy? Oh, uh, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Yes, he was yeah. uh, he was in Batman, too. Let's talk a little bit about the song because it's Prince. And I mean, I'm a Prince fan in probably the popular songs. I never really got into his deep cuts, but like Purple Rain, Doves Cry, Kiss, uh, Little Red Corvette, like the big ones. He's, he's a raspberry beret. Raspberry beret. So good. Um, he's a multi-instrumentalist. Like he makes all of his own music. Prince is one of those dudes that like, doesn't need to rely on a writer. He writes, plays piano, does the stuff, does every type of instrument and puts it all together and has been doing it since he was like 18. Um, I think his first album oh, yeah. when he was very young. But this was huge for Warner Brothers because they uh, Prince was kind of on a decline at this time. His 11th album and Warner Brothers wanted to revive Purple Rain because they did Purple Rain and it was huge. We need Batman to be this big. And Prince did the entire soundtrack, all original mm -hmm. songs made for Batman. Originally, the idea was that Prince was going to do the villain songs and they were going to be split villain songs and hero songs like Batman and Joker. And and they were going to uh, have Michael Jackson do the hero songs, the ballads. Oh, and Prince was going to. Do That's interesting. The, it is. But apparently. So you have to look up this video. There's a 1983 video of Michael Jackson and Prince. So apparently they had like similar come-ups. They both idolized and was were mentored by uh, an earlier mention, which is weird, 
uh, coming to America, Godfather yeah. of Soul, James Brown, and they kind of, which makes sense if you think about Michael Jackson. You can see that James Brown, Michael Jackson, those moves, those dance moves, of course. And then Prince kind of has that soulful sound to him too. So they both came up. And I guess it was a James Brown concert. And James Brown is doing this little talk to the audience at the end. And there's a whole ensemble behind him playing sax and like drums and, and guitars and basses and stuff, multiple bass. And he comes in, he goes, we have a friend in the audience tonight. We want him to come up, Michael Jackson. And the crowd goes wild. Michael Jackson's in the audience and he's wearing his like blue military Michael Jackson suit. And this is 83. So it's old, it's young Michael. He, the crowd moves around and he walks up to the stage and he, he, he like talk, he hugs James Brown. He's like, do a little, do a little dance for us. And they start playing the music like doom, 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 doom. And Michael Jackson just starts killing it with these crazy dance moves. And the crowd is loving it. This is the end of the concert. And then he whispers in James Brown's ear and James Brown goes, I just heard that there's another person out there. Prince is in the audience. Prince, Prince, where are you at? Come on up, Prince. And Prince like is a shy guy. Prince is a very like secluded. He had a a compound. Michael Jackson was the guy out there. Like he wanted to be yeah. a pop star. Prince was like, let me make music and let people <clears throat> like it. So he see him meander up slowly and get up there. And James Brown is like, play something for us, Prince. And Prince grabs a, a bass and he just plays this bass line that's kind of lame. And he doesn't know. Like it just, it doesn't live up to everyone else's hype and everyone's still like, yeah, cool prince is here. Yay. He was so embarrassed and upset that Michael did this. And then he takes the bass off and then tries to do like some sexy dancing to like compete with Michael's dancing. And he grabs a pole that's on stage and tries to swing on it and it breaks and he falls into the crowd. And it was apparently the most embarrassed he'd ever felt in his entire life. And Michael Jackson and Prince since that time apparently had like beef and like oh. didn't like each other. Um, so that's why the album never got put together. But then later on, they wow. said, oh, that's not true. But like you, you can watch this video. You can watch it happen. It's, it's pretty, happened. it's pretty uh, uncomfortable for both of them. Can I give you some Prince facts? Give me some Prince facts. Go for it. Things. So there's a a couple of things on Prince. One of the, I think I might've brought this up in a podcast before, but you were talking about how prolific of a musician he was. And I remember distinctly, there's an interview of Eric Clapton and they go to Eric Clapton. They say, Eric, what's it like to be the best guitar player on earth? And he goes, I don't know. Ask Prince. It was just crazy. Slow hand himself, you know? Absolutely crazy. And the other thing is, um, so Prince, like, changed his name to be the artist formerly known as Prince, this, that, and the other. Prince is his given name. It's just literally his actual name. His name is Prince Nelson. Wow, I never knew that. That's interesting. It's a weird one. Um, But, yeah, so that's that's his actual name. Um, And I think he he just sort of randomly shortened it at one point to uh, to that. And then a symbol for a while. Yeah, he was. He was just a symbol for a little while. And then outside of that, I think. So, Prince, you can't download any of his music on like YouTube or anything like that. All of it is like super copyrighted. And he's got like 
years and years and years of unreleased music that's out there that's which like, is that's a, almost a problem if you're a multi-instrumentalist and like so good at everything that any moment you're not just like not doing anything you're writing and thinking about the next song especially if you're obsessed kind of hermit which he was he was a hermit like he didn't like the spotlight he loved he loved what he stood for and loved the music that he made but he didn't he wasn't a michael jackson he wasn't out there no. trying to spin around and put his hair out when it's on fire, you know, which Michael Jackson did. Um, <laughs> this is true. This is very true. <laughs> but no, I, I wanted to share that. That's Eric that's interesting. Thing, yeah. Because I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. So real quick, I guess I have to hear it. Do you go Christian Bale? You say Bale. Ben Affleck? No. <laughs> no, M- Michael Keaton and Christian Bale are like one and one A for me. I get um, that. I get that. George George Clooney can pound fucking <laughs> ass for all I care. That, that was the other. That was the other. So Joel Shoemaker, who did Saint Elmo's Fire, and he also did the after Tim Burton, he did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, which go down okay. as some of the worst Dreadful. Batman movies ever. But it's got Jim Carrey in one and Arnie in the other. Jim Carrey's so I still good. Like Jim Carrey's good as the Riddler. Arnold is awful as mr chill Freeze. all right chill. chill everybody chill it's so bad it's all so right. so bad anyway let's uh it. let's move on so this is my final song it is dude it's the Take last one for you for me so we're gonna do uh holiday road by lindsey buckingham um from national lampoon's vacation in 1983 Lindsay Buckingham. So there's probably a whole podcast worth of information about Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks and the whole Fleetwood Mac thing. We're not going to get into that. That's like way too much. Um, let's talk about the movie. Let's do it first. <laughs> a blurb? Um, you got a blurb? There's no, there's no blurb. This one, I I looked. I told you I got a blurb from everything else. Um, But here's your here's your connection here. It's John Hughes. There he is. So he he did uh, the National Lampoon's Vacation. It was based on a short story, Vacation Fifty Eight, which was in National Lampoon, which was like a magazine. Right. Um, And it was a is basically a, a series of skits. Right. So as they're going through it, it's a series of skits, which is why, you know, there's the whole, the, all the different scenes where like where he's, he sees the girl in the car when they leave the fucking, they drag the dog behind the car and they put Ugh. grandma on the roof. And, <laughs> grandma on yeah. The roof. Bunch of, bunch of crazy shit. And um, one of the connections was uh, a 1983 movie. The vehicle they drove was brand new that year. It was a 1983 Ford LTD Country Squire, which my (laughs) co-host once owned. I sure did. Definitely had that. It it was not the the mint green. It was trashed white. Want to rephrase that? Trash. It was white trash. trash. (laughs) (laughs) That that vehicle, dude, the Woody Wagon was awesome. I got to put a picture of it. Maybe that'll be the pod. no, they can't be. Cover art. <laughs> the cover art, just art for me. <laughs> next to my car. <laughs> I, I dig it. Well, the, so the movie itself was, it was just rated as the 46th greatest comedy film of all time. 
so um, good. if you haven't seen it, you should. It's so good. And there's four sequels. You got European Vacation, Vegas Vacation, Christmas Vacation, and then just Vacation, right? There's, yeah. there's four iterations of it. Yeah. Chevy Chase is in all of them. That It's just Chevy Chase at his finest. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. Um, so let, let's talk about the music because everybody's, everybody's seen Vegas or uh, National Lampoon Vacation. Yeah. So the score... Uh, of the movie was done by this guy ralph burns nothing much about him uh and there was a few original songs by lindsey buckingham um the album never charted like not at all like not even in the top like 500 uh but holiday road was super popular sure um and it's interesting because you think about lindsey buckingham as a guitar player um one of my gotta be honest i love fleetwood mac Lindsey Buckingham is one of the most uninteresting guitar players when it comes to like <laughs> solos and stuff right, like that. Right, it's right. just, it's just one note. It's just excessively boring, but <laughs> writes beautiful songs. And they're like songs with depth and meaning and shit like that. And then holiday road, <laughs> there's nothing going on there's nothing this is 80s buckingham so it so good it was so good <laughs> it's just the chorus is just holiday road repeated four times oh. and the verses are so simple um but jack holiday nimble, road jack be quick what and no, it makes no oh. sense <laughs> it's like they so, didn't know the where to put the words uh. exactly it was like it was like the la la la's and simple mind but the uh the, the song was used in all of the sequels it was oh, used was in the, the 85 was european vacation right. vegas vacation was 12 years later and then vacation again was 2015 um the last one the 2015 one it was a cover by Zach Brown Band. So Zach Brown Band did the cover of Holiday Road for the 2015 um, National Lampoon Vacation. Oh, there was a 2015 yeah. one? There was a redo? There was a redo. It's a redo. That. It wasn't Chevy Chase, though, was it? Yep. There. It's uh, a great question. I don't really remember. I think it I don't might know. be. Really? Hmm. Yeah. yeah so I didn't know they or, did that. Him or Ernest. I can't remember. <laughs> um, so the, the song came out um fleetwood mac was like on a hiatus he had already done one solo album called law and order back in 81 had like a number nine hit called trouble um the follow-up album was go insane released in 1984 title track go insane went up to 23 um but the funny part about it was i was looking at like a bunch of different articles on lindsey buckingham's solo career and the most popular song is Holiday Road, which is the dumbest song he ever wrote. <laughs> and it didn't chart. It didn't chart. But every um, single article was like, yeah, his uh, when he did his own, one of his own things, you know, his solo album, Holiday Road. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it was because of the movie. So I thought it was interesting to, right. to think about, like, in, in a lot of a these cases, kind of. But like, the, this song is written for the you know the movie and yeah. it's like the movie made a lot of this music in this entire podcast the movies made the songs popular right. some of the songs right they're not they're not like standalone like, great songs you know what right. i mean like like uh, a fight to survive like that's not charting without john claude van Damme. 
You know, right, it's just not right. Jean Claude Van Damme. Van Damme. Anyway, so this is a little bit of a short segment, but it's yeah. one of my favorite songs. My tie to it, yeah, I get is, it. Is uh, when I moved down to Florida with my now wife. Uh, you came down, Jimmy came yeah. down, and we were. This is back before there was like, we didn't have Google Maps or anything like that. We were just kind of finding some furniture off of Craigslist because I was shit broke. <laughs> so shady. So shady. And we were driving this little window liquor truck cab over like moving truck. And we were whipping around the city. We had never been in on map quest directions and shoddy Blackberry GPS. Yeah. And I remember specifically where we rented the truck from was like out front of a hotel and the name of the road was holiday trail. For whatever reason, (laughs) we kept listening to that song and we would sing holiday trail (laughs) instead of road. And it was just, it not only did that's where we got it, but like, because we were using these directions and finding things like we were going in big circles we just kept on going in circles and like passing a lot of the same places so we'd see a sign for holiday trail and pat and i would just be like holiday trail and we just kept on singing it like idiots and like obviously our our girlfriends at the time but our wives now are like the hell is wrong with these guys but they still stuck it out so bad bad look on them i don't know <laughs> yeah we had some we had some fucking adventures yeah. trekking around orlando the greater orlando area finding uh finding furniture and things like that but, oh man i mean yeah. i'll just give i'll give it my favorite is we went to this guy's house and it was in his garage and like craigslist this is before facebook marketplace they're like come to my house and it's in the back underneath all this stuff yeah you want it get it if you want it and it was a it was an entertainment center and it had the classic 80s slash 90s yeah it's very glass, 80s. glass doors that you pushed and it clicked and it would lock like yep and Magnets. i went to i went to move it and the glass door fell off and shattered into a billion pieces and pat and i a billion and a half pat and i looked at each other looked at the glass and then both looked at the guy and pat was like take it like we still had to buy it we felt like because we were in this guy's garage moving stuff around to get it and it was just like shatter it was destroyed uh, it was so cool. and and after seeing it i knew my tv wouldn't fit in it we saw and we half. still bought it we sawed we it in it. half and crammed this gigantic box frame tv in there <laughs> that had no business being in there and i had no money and no saw and we did the- it with it was bad it was With bad. scissors i think we used scissors yeah it was like this this <laughs> friggin particle waffle board that we were cutting up with scissors oh, it was just geez. uh it's a whole thing but that this song huh. brings great, me back great to song. both both the movie as well as the experience of zipping around and you know driving as fast as we can in this window liquor and just driving back to my neighborhood which was in a marsh yeah. And just eight thousand grasshoppers and dragonflies just and exploding on our windshield as we were driving <laughs> through these hills. But anyway, Jimmy, you got the last one, my friend. Finish oh, us off. And this one is going to take us all the way home. Tim Capello doing "I Still Believe" off the yes. Lost Boys soundtrack, and this one's a good one.
if you know anything about me, synthesizers, pianos are amazing. The only other instrument that could tap top those is the saxophone. And that guy, Mr. Tim Capello, does it justice. He does is the, he sax. the saxophone. Well, is he the guy? He is the guy. That is the guy. The guy ripped up, super, super jack dude, oiled, yeah. greasy, long hair, long flowing locks. Uh, on the stage in the Santa Carla Pier, I believe is where it is. No, where's it at? Yeah, the Santa Carla Pier. It's in, it's in the movie The Lost Boys, which came out in 1987. It Sucks. is. Pat is not a fan. Is not a fan. But this is where I go. I am a huge fan. I love the movie. I thought it was great, and I loved it at the time when I saw it, and I love it even more now, probably because I know all the stuff about Tim Capel, and we have. <laughs> It's a dopey movie. I'm it not. is a dopey movie. It is a very dopey movie, and it's very campy. It actually paved the way for most modern vampire lore. It was one of the first. Like, you had Nasa Farotu, whatever the original. Faratu, yeah. Faratu. Um, And then between there, you had a couple other vampire movies, but this one really mainstreamed the the modern day vampire what they looked like how they reacted and stuff it was it was cheesy it was 80s cheese fest with a lot of uh you know the floaties and all of that but joel shoemaker once again in in the driver's seat seat here Corey Haim, Kiefer sutherland big time actors in there it was the lost boys playing off peter pan you know because the, the lost boys never got older and the vampires never got older either. They get they move to this new place and they're like something's weird. And uh, Corey Haim and his brother Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick turns into a vampire. He does the whole ritual, drinking the blood, and then his brother's like hanging out with uh, Corey Feldman and uh, <laughs> Jamie Gertz. Uh, they're the uh, comic book kids that teach them how to stop the vampires and all this stuff definitely can't be it just it set the stage for modern day vampires that's pretty much where it goes i love the movie it's a good movie check it out the main thing to talk about here is tim capello he is the dude on the stage stop there. right there he is the dude is he, what he is, is the dude wait do you hear this though so this is the story that I saw in here. I'm going to go into Tim Capello, but I saw this and it just like clear connection, just like Holiday Trail Road and the last <laughs> one. John Hamm of SNL did a caricature of Sergio, who was Tim Capello. Right. That's who he was supposed to be. It was a greased up sax guy and he would just come out and play the sax. Well, in 2011, in the height of Vine Central, uh, we had Sergio Flores. The sexy, sexy sax, sax, sax man. man. So that is based on John Hamm's caricature of Sergio, who is based on Tim Capello. So Tim Capello is a connection. essentially Sergio Flores. They are the same character. They That's who that was recreating when he would just bust in and play careless whisper on the, uh, on the sax. That was done by George Michael. He's but playing to a baby. He's playing to a baby. Boo, he doesn't like George Michael. <laughs> but anyway, I guess in the 70s and 80s, the early 80s, Tim Capello was big in the drugs. 
and then got off the drugs and went super hard into lifting and probably steroids because he was pretty definitely steroids pretty, yeah, for sure pretty turned up there he toured with a bunch of people he toured with peter gabriel on his first really? and second album he was on he was on the albums he toured with them he toured with billy crystal i guess billy crystal had a comedy and you know how like was the late show had like a band but it was comedy i guess some you know you house comedy has house band for the for the comedians he was yeah. billy crystal crystal uh eric carmen hungry eyes guy which hungry eyes right <laughs> um 80s yeah he got real prerogative with his he came out with like g-strings on and leather and all this other shit that was really weird and i guess during um road warrior uh Thunderdome. What's that one? Is that where we're three? Yeah. Mad Max. Mad Max. Beyond the Thunderdome. Right. Yeah. It was the third one uh, with Tina Turner. He was on tour oh, with Tina right. Turner and he, he dressed like the, the, the desert land people. So he would be like, just like, really? you wearing like a leather thong and Tina Turner Jeez, pulled him right. out, pulled him out onto stage with a collar on it with him playing the sax. Like it was that's, fucking weird. It's fucking weird. It's real weird. But Tim Capello, that's this. That this is his claim to fame. This is it. Everything I'm saying, like that is. You look him up, you find that information. He was in Lost Boys, Sergio yeah. Flores, and G Strings Made of Leather. Uh, finally, the song is actually a cover. It's not even his. Really? A band called The Call did it. Uh, they're from Santa Carla, California. So they were kind of Santa Carla is where the Lost Boys takes place. Um, yeah. It was a new wave band. And the biggest disappointment, there's no saxophone. Oh, what the fuck? That whole song. Could you imagine that song with no saxophone? Go listen to the original because that's it. I was so thing, upset. The one thing I found about this song, I, I didn't do any research, but the one thing I've noticed about this song having heard it a bunch of times is that each individual line in the song mm -hmm. is like three words at a time yeah <laughs> like still believe oh still believe <laughs> i've been in a cave. cave 40 days 40 days <laughs> it has a very interesting well it was what? new wavy so it was probably you know more robotic sounding right like that's what yeah. in the early 80s uh that's what you went with you went you wanted to be the machine you wanted to create a song that sounded mechanical uh yeah but there's nothing mechanical about that saxophone that is all true blue air coming out and there is there, there's something he does because it's really cool it's for the lost boys like vampires death murder kill all this stuff yeah. the, the saxophone is screaming at some point it's screaming there's like a it's that's what you hear Listen he's to like a really impressive musician. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond the fact that he's an absolute cartoon of a human. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> he's a really impressive saxophonist. Definitely. And like, definitely. he's also a really impressive bodybuilder. Like, yeah, he's about it. buff as fuck. And <laughs> he's just like this fire filled rave. And he's just greased up ponytail. Greased up. Just ripping, absolutely ripping, <laughs> shredding this friggin' Sax. this saxophone solo. It's uh, man. I'm sorry. I hope someday you'll be able to go and watch the Lost Boys and be like, maybe it wasn't that bad. But if not, Listen, that's fine. That's fine. I've seen it that's once. Fine. I saw it as an adult. I saw it, I saw it in 2020. 
Okay. So in 2020. So, so it doesn't, I, and I doesn't might not hold up. I might just, be living was, off the nostalgia. It was crunched in between the, the outsiders and the Goonies. The okay. outsiders was good. Right. Goonies is the worst movie I've ever seen. So <laughs> it's dreadful, but I want to get some shit for that. But the, the lost boys, it was, it was one of those, it was kind of a roadhousey movie. It was bad, but ironic, like ironically, right. I liked it. You know yeah. what I mean? It was I fun to watch. I get you. It got, it was, it was critically acclaimed. It got, it got some good stuff and it was probably about the time though, because it came out in 87. That was before anything was really done. Kiefer Sutherland was huge. Corey Haim and uh, Corey Feldman, you know, Corey Feldman, Corey, the yeah. Corey's, the Corey's, they were in a lot together in the eighties and nineties, but yeah. dude, that's where we hit the rap button on the totally radical mixtape music that was a fun one soundtrack that was a really fun one i Hell really yeah, enjoyed dude. that Hell just yeah. the, the the research of that one was a lot of fun that the shit that i found out the incestuous <laughs> nature <laughs> of 80s soundtracks and the fact that kenny loggins the king of the soundtrack <laughs> every movie kenny loggins had a song right. Rocky is the king of the montage and Correct. Kenny Loggins is the king of the soundtrack. Well, Joe Bean Esposito is the, the number one king in our list <laughs> yeah. of movie montages from the 80s. But that is 100% that was, true. That was fun, man. Yeah. And something you said earlier, and it reminds me of like a little bit of our Masters of Metal, how we said the music video was coming up in the 80s and the music and the music video had to like do something different yeah. beyond just like, be a concert of someone standing there and playing the same song and then you said that the music and the mo the movie made the music and the music made the movie kind of both ways like i think watching the movie the music adds to it but when you're listening to the mo the music it stands alone by itself good too because you remember parts of the movie and how it made you feel like i listened to uh power of love i see marty going down the the back of the, the the car being pulled to school on a skateboard but <clears throat> when i'm watching i'm like yeah it is the power of love i don't even know what he loves yet but i bet you it's skateboarding and future um now you know back, it had nothing back, to do with that <laughs> getting back to getting back to the future of love um <laughs> anyway dude absolutely a blast and i think we got a lot more cool stuff coming and this is the beginning of uh a lot of new stuff down the pike. Yeah, man. If I remember that third Prince fact, I'll let you know. <laughs> awesome, dude. All right. Talk to you later. And that's it, everyone. I hope you all really enjoyed part two of the Totally Radical Mixtape. In my opinion, this was the most fun together, and I think Pat and I had a huge blast putting it together. And with that being said... I have to start getting ready for my baby boy to be born, so we're going to conclude Season 2 of the Jamcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and also a huge shout-out to all of those who made this season possible. Pat, Crispy, and Colin Day, you guys are awesome, and without you, I wouldn't be putting anything together. I don't know how long I'll be on break. Be sure to look out for posts. I'm thinking summertime I'll be back, but who knows, right? 
kids, man. Tell me about them. So keep an eye out for posts, polls, and other fun ways. We're going to keep on building this jam community. At the end of the day, music is a gift that we can all enjoy together. Just make sure you like and subscribe and follow so you can get all the latest and greatest Jamcast episodes and offerings. All right, jammers, until next time, jam on.